stated. I do a Southern fundamentalist sound check. Okay. Um, If you have, if you have a, uh, thank you. <laughs> if you have a Bible with you, please open to the uh, Book of Isaiah, chapter sixty. Sixty. It's really a treat to be here. Um, there's a, a benefit you have from distance to see things more clearly, I think, and uh, to come back and see Nathan and Glenda Lewis and see Eric and Jerry Lee Costa. Um, I think I see what you might not as easily see. These are great ones in the kingdom. And uh, you should be thankful for what God is doing here, what he has done, and this big celebration day especially for Ascension Presbyterian. How many of you were uh, uh, a part of Ascension back at Evergreen? So there, just, it's quite a lot. That's uh, the ones who've made the sacrifice, who've been in uh, for the long haul. And uh, it's really fun to come and get to see what God has done through you and what he's done here. Uh, it, it's a uh, treat for me to be here and for Julie to be here to celebrate with you, too. Uh, Mission Church is what you are until tonight, right? Uh, It's an interesting term. It means you don't have your own elders yet, so you're a a mission church, and so when you get your own elders, you become a particular church, which is an unfortunate name. There should be something more celebratory than that, but a particular church you get to be. But there's something organic about a mission church, too. It's not just that it doesn't have its own formal leadership, there's something about the mindset of a mission church that you think you're here on a mission, that church isn't just for you, but you're trying to get something started. You're trying to bring people into the kingdom. Uh, you want new people to convert to faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to see a church built up that wasn't there before. And it's a very different mindset than a consumer's mindset in a church, where you go to find a church you like, that suits you, where you feel like your needs are met and your kids are not unhappy, and so you can have a nice church to enjoy. A mission church, you go to sacrifice. You go for the sake of other people instead of for yourself. And uh, typically, when you transition from being a mission church, you don't just get elders, but you also change your mindset. And you go from thinking of yourself as a church on a mission to a church that's now nice for me. I've succeeded, I've arrived, I sacrificed, and now I get to enjoy it. And your DNA points you in a different direction because uh, Evergreen was never that church, right? They never quit being a mission church even when they became a particular one because they stayed on Jesus' mission. And it didn't change just because they got elders. It just equipped them to pursue that mission better. I want to talk to you today about that too, the the, uh, mission church that stays on mission after they become a real church. That you don't start to think of this as just a church for yourselves, just a place where you can be comfortable, where you can enjoy the fruits of your sacrifices and success, but where you can continue to pursue what God has for you and for his kingdom here in Hillsborough. So I want us to look at Isaiah 60 to do that. Uh, it's, a great, it's a description of the future beauty of the church, what God is going to tr- make the church be eventually. And I'm just going to read the first uh, few verses of it as we begin, and then we'll read the rest of it as we go through. But I want us, as we think about what it's going to mean for you to be a particular church, to think about what it is that God has in mind for his church, what he intends to do through her. So let me pray for us first, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask that you would uh, grant us 
a glimpse of your eyes on your church, that we might uh, see her for what you're making her, that we might tap into some of the affection that you have for her, uh, that we might have high hopes for her that would make us willing to sacrifice uh, in her cause. Uh, use your word in our lives today to cause us to love your son and to love the church that he's making a bride for himself. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, read with me the first three verses in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Somebody told me that I use a lot of Lord of the Rings illustrations. I don't believe that, but um, I'm going to again. But The Hobbits made it okay, right? Because the movie's out and we can talk about it again. It's in the front of our minds. You know hobbits are comfortable creatures, right? Uh, life in the Shire is cozy and sheltered and delightful. There's lots of food and lots of meals every day, and it's good to be a hobbit in the Shire. And that's where Bilbo lived at uh, Bag End until Gandalf, the wizard, who in my analogy is either Nathan or Eric, I'm not sure, but tricked Bilbo into having a party one night for Thorin and his band of dwarves. And uh, while they're having the party, they start singing these songs about the lost mountains and the treasure and the dragon smog who has uh, uh, terrorized the people uh, near the, the uh, lonely mountains. And before he knows it, Bilbo is wrapped up in these songs and this idea of going off on some adventure, which no hobbit in his right mind would ever do. Right? They're not adventurous people, but off they go somehow, having heard these songs, the thorn and the dwarves, and they're going off, and they're still very hobbitish. Along the way, there's a lot of talk about food and a lot of memories about the comforts of the Shire and the hobbit holes and things, but before too long, smog is dead, and uh, they're back at the Shire having experienced this victory. I don't know what kind of songs Nathan sang to Eric or Eric sang to you about smog in the Lonely Mountains, but here you are, right? Probably hobbitish in a lot of ways, but here you are. So we're going to go off on this adventure. We're going to plant this church. We're going to uh, do this in Hillsborough, Oregon, of all places, and, and now God has blessed your efforts, and he's brought you back to the Shire to celebrate. You get today, at least, to uh, sit back and think about what he's done, the sacrifices that you've made and, and what he's given you. It's the story of Ascension Presbyterian Church, really, uh, that God used unlikely people to do something uh, dramatic, and who knows what happens from here. But we know this, that uh, once the adventure of Jesus' mission gets inside of you, it's very hard to just go back to the Shire and be sheltered and comfortable and content with that. And I want to urge you not to become comfortable and content because the mission of Ascension Presbyterian was never just to get the church up and going. The mission was to be a part of Jesus' mission. And his mission is much bigger than just having a particular church here. He is turning the whole world back right side up. Right? Through his mercy, he's ending the war that we have with him, uh, bringing us into his mercy onto his side and conscripting us into his cause to fix the world. So that everything that's been ruined by sin and injustice and rebellion is going to be fixed because of what Jesus has done. And the vanguard for that movement is the church. 
of all things is the church that Jesus has decided to use to cause eventually everything to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you think, well, of all things he could have picked, the church seems like an unlikely one, but it's the church that he loves. It's the church that he's decided to use. And so I want us to look at what he says he's going to do in his church as we think about your part of his mission as it's experienced here in Hillsboro. And first thing I want to say is that the, uh, the church has a great future. The church has a great future that, that Isaiah describes here. Um, we'll walk you through this a little bit. In the first three verses, he's saying that, um, Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And it may be a little bit of a stretch to say, why, why are we saying that's the church if this is written to Israel? Uh, coming back from their time in exile when they were just at a very low ebb spiritually and nationally. It's that God's people, the people of his covenant, Israel in the Old Testament, have uh, become the church in the New Testament. That God's ambitions for his people are fulfilled through the church. Uh, Not just Jewish believers, but believers from all over the world. We're probably, I don't know if you dug a hole straight through the earth, if you'd come out in Israel. We're about as far away from Israel as you could get. But... Here we are, seeing God's purposes for his people expressed in this place. He says uh, they're going to have their fortunes reversed from what they used to be. Nobody would have been impressed with God's people at the time Isaiah was writing, and most people aren't impressed with God's people now. But look down in verse 15, that page. He says, whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through you, I will make you majestic forever a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations and nurse at the breast of kings, which is one of the Bible's oddest metaphors, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. People undervalue you now, but uh, what they will see is what God sees, is that he's going to make his church beautiful. Now, he's not saying... I'm going to vindicate you finally, and all those people who despised you are going to see that you were really smarter than they were after all, and you were more holy than they were after all, and that God is finally going to cause the cream to rise uh, in the human race, and people will see, they'll finally see that you were the great ones. No, he says, I'm going to be your redeemer. I'm going to be your savior. They're not going to be impressed with you. They're going to be impressed with me. They're going to see you as the trophies of my grace, the people that uh, I've had mercy on. And they're going to be amazed that there could be a God who loves people like us the way he does. But when they see it, it's going to be beautiful, he says. It's going to be beautiful. Verse 17, he starts to talk about this beauty. And it's in contrast to defensive strength. Instead of a big fortress as the metaphor for the church, it's a a beautiful and art-filled city. He says, instead of bronze, I'll bring you gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. And I will make your overseers peace, your taskmasters righteousness. And then you'll live in safety. He said, verse 18, violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. And he says the gates will be open all the time. Like your doors will always be unlocked as the church because you'll live in such safety that you won't have to worry about your enemies. You won't have to be defensive when you think about your children in the world and what it means to live as a believer in God's world. The the defensive part goes away when God makes his church beautiful. And 
He goes on and elaborates in verse 19, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. Sun shall no more go down, nor will your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my plant and the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. And the least one shall become a clan, the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and in its time I will hasten it. It's time. This is, it's beautiful for us to think about what the church is going to be. Think if you're an elder in the church or you're going to be, the idea that all the people would be righteous and that your heart will no longer be broken because of uh, the brokenness of the people around you. That those burdens that you've carried, the tears that you've wept with people, you won't have to weep anymore. And you can rejoice with those who rejoice as your main job, uh, having sacrificed. These are the things that God holds out for us. Be good. And uh, it doesn't say it's going to happen in our lifetimes, probably. You know, we, it's not going to happen fully until Jesus returns and finishes the work that he's begun. But this is what's going to happen. This is the mission we're on. This is what we're involved in when we marry the church. And we say, look, I'm going to invest in the church. I'm not going to give up on the church because uh, this is what God intends to do. He's going to fix the world, and he's going to use the church. And so even though she may not be impressive now, uh, I'm going to be all in with her. And that's kind of the first application of that, is that you have to persevere with the church. A church isn't pretty. The church is dysfunctional. The church is, uh, if you're close to her, if you involve yourself in people's lives, the church is a frustration to almost everybody that's in it. You know, uh, it's not impressive. Oh, Eric, when you tell people that you're a Presbyterian minister, they say, wow, that's great. That must be wonderful for you. I mean, they, they think, oh, well, okay, you know, takes all kinds to make the world go round. But why the church? You know, the church is not impressive. And uh, it's not looked on with uh, a lot of respect or adulation from the world. But God knows what the church is. He knows our warts, and he loves her. Right? He loves her. I have a, you no one in the South will hear this. I have a friend who married badly. Um, and so badly that it, we couldn't really be friends very well anymore. Because uh, just general joking around and things caused his wife to take offense at every little thing. And at some point, um, my buddy and I couldn't be friends. And we've really lost touch because he married badly. And when you look at the church, you think sometimes, I really like Jesus. But his fiance is unbearable, right? I don't, I don't want to have to love her to love him. But, but you do, right? Because he adores the church. And he sees her for what she's going to be. And he expects us to latch on to that affection and latch on to that vision for her and advocate for it, to stick in there with her. And to invest in her, which uh, you have been doing. You know, in some of the hardest ways, doing a mission church where you do a lot more giving than you do getting is uh, one of the greatest ways you can invest in the church. And, um, but you're not through with that. Your investment in the church is going to have to go on, and it will probably become even more costly for you as you go along. Um, you don't get to be consumers now. You're still conscripts in the mission. And it's not going to be a church for you now. You don't just get to relax. Um, 
when you're planting a mission church, you have all this expectancy about what God might do. When you pray together, you don't just pray about who's sick this week. You, you pray about things like who might come and your friends who you think uh, are asking questions about the faith that you hope will convert. And you're talking about them. You're praying about them. You're thinking about what God's going to do. You invite your friends to come. You know, you, you have a sense of uh, being part of a sales force, sort of, that you're you're a part of inviting and bringing people into something as a mission church. And that, that can go away very easily, but it shouldn't go away from you. Um, another thing about a mission church that's different is, is that it's small. And uh, small is nice. You know, people will come into your church and they'll say, what I really like about Ascension is they've got that close-knit feel, man. Everybody knows each other. They really love each other. You can sense it when you're there, and it's great. They share each other's lives, and they take care of each other's needs. And if you start inviting more people to come in here and more people come into the faith and come into Ascension, Ascension is going to get worse for you. Right? Church won't be as good because you'll feel more detached from people. And you'll think, gosh, I remember when we all knew each other now, and and we were at the, at the leaders' meeting the other night, and they were talking about people who've been coming for a few weeks. I don't even know them. And that seems so weird. I feel like I'm losing my church. And to invite people, it's going to cost you more money to promote the mission here, and it's going, to, it's going to be less pleasant for you in a lot of ways. But that's what you're called to, right? Because the mission of the church isn't to get you a nice place to go to church. The mission of the church is so that Jesus' kingdom can come. So he's going to set things right, uh, us in it and our friends in it as they come into relationship with him by his mercy. And that's what you're here for. That's what you're here for. And that's hard. The culture won't tell you that. Most church culture won't tell you that. Uh, but Eric will tell you that. And your home church, the mothership, will tell you that because they've lived that way in the Oregon mission. And that kind of leads to the second point, which is not only does the church have a great future, but the nations have a great future in the church. God is going to bring the nations into his church. He's not just going to vindicate us. He's going to bring people in. And he's intent on doing that. He promises to do it. I want you to look uh, at verse 4 when he talks about this. The, the picture here is the return from exile. God's uh, people in Israel have been scattered into the nations because they've been so rebellious. But they're going to come back, God says. I'm going to bring them back into Israel, but they're not coming alone. They're being brought back by their captors. But when their captors come back, um, they come back as converts. They come back as worshipers of Israel's God. He says, lift up your eyes all around, verse 4, and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from far. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And you'll see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea is turned to you. And the wealth of the nations shall come to you. People are being brought back by the converted nations so that the Babylonians and the Persians uh, are not Israel's enemies anymore, but they're worshipers of Israel's God. They're converts now. It goes on, a multitude of camels will cover you, and that's good. Um, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, those from Sheba will come. They'll bring gold and frankincense. What does that remind you of? Uh, the Persian kings or wise men come and bring gold and frankincense to Jesus when he was born. But they'll bring gold and frankincense. They'll bring good news. People from Sheba and Midian will bring good news. The praises of Yahweh, the praises of Israel's God. All the flocks of Keter shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They'll come up with acceptance on my altar. These are uh, 
pagans, foreigners, people from other religions bringing their offerings to, to Israel's God and having them accepted. And I will beautify my beautiful house, he says. He loves his church. He sees what we can't see yet. The wealth of the nations brought in, everything that's good in the nations. Uh, that around here, you know what people say? They say, I, I don't really like church, but I like Jesus, so I like to go off uh, up into Forest Park and look at the beautiful Doug firs and the cypress and say, you know, wow, this is really beautiful. This is something that can be admired. This is something that can be treasured. And here I am with Jesus, and it's great. And when you read this, Jesus says, you know, that, those fir trees and those cypress trees, those are going to be adornments for my bride. Those are just going to be earrings uh, for my beautiful church. And if you think this park is beautiful, if you think these trees are beautiful, you should see what I'm going to turn my church into. I'm going to bring the cedars of Lebanon and probably Oregon too into my church to glorify my church because I love her. And I'm going to use her to fix the world and it's going to be beautiful. And you think, okay, well, <laughs> us, seriously, that's okay. <laughs> if that's what you want, <laughs> we're in sales, not management, right? So, okay, the church, we'll go in with the church. And he goes on, verse 8, Who are these that fly like a cloud, like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God, for the Holy One of Israel, because he's made you beautiful. Foreigners will build up your walls. Their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I've had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night, not shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you will perish. And those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And that's, uh, that's us, right? We're, we're the nations that have been brought captive to Israel's God. That Jesus Christ has reached out in his mercy and got Gentiles from the other side of the world to be his worshipers. And we come bringing the wealth of the nations to worship Israel's God. What this means is that you have to continue to welcome the nations as a church. You can never be a church just for you because Jesus' mission is bigger than that. You have to be a church for Hillsborough. You have to be a church for the nations. You have to be a part of the Oregon mission and to uh, make the hard progress that you've made here already go further. This is a, if you just look around our country, this is a really difficult place to start new churches. This is a remarkable victory to have a day like this in Hillsborough, Oregon. The bark is hard on the trees out here, and you know um, it's hard. It's a, testament to, it's a testament to Nathan Lewis and what God has done in his life. Uh, he's been the visionary behind all this, and I don't know how much you know of that, but Eric Costa and I got swept up in it, and Eric hasn't quit yet like I did, and so... It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to welcome the nations and to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live where people need Jesus Christ and his mercy rather than uh, living where I'm comfortable. And I'm going to serve in a place uh, where I'm in a church for other people instead of for myself. But it's a beautiful thing because it's what Jesus is interested in doing for his church and through you. 
Why don't people leave their gates open? You know, why was it always hard for Israel to have their gates open, to, to be welcoming to the nations, bringing them into worship uh, their God? They never wanted to do it. The church never wants to do it either, really. We usually just huddle up and get comfortable. A lot of it's got to be fear, doesn't it? I don't, I don't know what will happen if I leave my gates open and the nations come in. Do you know what kind of people live in the nations? You know, they bring, they'll bring their kids if they come in, and their kids are going to be weird, and they're going to teach my kids things I don't want my kids to know. We have, a, uh, we have a church near us. It's in Athens, Georgia, and I was talking to their youth minister, and he was talking about uh, being exhausted from having to break up fights at youth group and having to send kids home from youth group. And I thought, what? <laughs> youth group? But this church is really working hard to, to invite neighbors in, and so all sorts of kids come to, to youth group who aren't very well managed at home and raised and things, and so they're, they're having fights, and they have to... You know, they have to take drugs away from the kids at youth group, and they have to send kids home again from youth group. And I thought, man, I don't want a youth group like that. I want a nice youth group where my kids can go and be with other pleasant little Christian kids and sing pretty songs and learn about the Bible. And uh, Jesus says, no, I want the gates open because I'm going to bring these people in. They're like you, and I can change them in my mercy like I've changed you, and I want you to be a part of that. And elders, when he puts them in the church, are supposed to be taking the lead in hospitality. Right? It's one of the qualifications for an elder is someone who's welcoming of new people, inviting of new people. And so that's a challenge for you uh, as you enter into that as elders to join Eric and Jerry Lee that you're going to be the ones on point to say we want new people to come in and we're willing to endure the, the uh, messiness of that. Um, and for the, for the whole congregation, though, Maintaining friendships with your friends who aren't Christians and not acting like you're superior to them or that uh, you don't have anything in common with them because you do. And you're very likely going to be God's means of bringing them into his kingdom, them finding the mercy of Jesus Christ like you have. And so you have to be adamantly maintaining friendships outside the church with people and always having a bias towards inviting people. You really need to. That's Jesus' mission for the church, and it's why he's put this church out here not just to make you comfortable. Other reason I think that church is not usually very open to inviting the nations in is because we don't really think Jesus can change people. It's unbelief. I don't think people from Sheba and Tarshish can become Christians, right? They're too far away, we might think. I don't know who you think is far away. I don't know who's on your, that person could never become a convert list, but those are the people you need to be praying for. You know, we've got, we've got a list of friends that we pray for constantly. We have, you know, like an early service where I pray for Oregonians. And then uh, the later service, we pray for uh, suburban Georgians. But I've got a list of people that it will honestly shock me if God saves them. Right? If, he, if he brings them in and they bow down to Jesus Christ and begin to worship him. Uh, but it would be no more of a miracle for those people to become converts than it was for me to, or for you to, right? Um, so Tarshish and Sheba are supposed to provoke you to think about things, people that you think are unlikely, uh, effects of the gospel that you think are unlikely to happen in this place. Jesus says, raise your sights, because what I'm doing, I'm not just going to save a few people even, I'm going to turn the whole world back right side up, and I'm going to use the church to do it. Church is like Ascension Presbyterian. And so let your expectancy grow. 
and keep your sense of mission as a mission church. You probably couldn't have predicted how it was going to play out to this point for Ascension, you know, when you signed up and said, yeah, let's try to do something in Hillsboro. I don't know if you pictured something like this, but the future is not going to be predictable either, what God might use you to do. But I know this, if the mission gets inside of you, the uh, shire is going to grow wearisome, and the larder of food at Bag End is just not going to taste as good as it used to. A little church where you feel comfortable and you feel like your children are safe and you like the preaching and you think the music is cool, because it is, isn't what you're after here, right? You're being dragged into Jesus' mission, and it's way bigger than this. It's way bigger than this. He's going to set the world back right side up through you. So um, you get to be a particular church now, but I urge you and charge you to stay a mission church in the way you think about yourselves. Stay a mission church. Now let's pray. Father, we praise you for your mercy in our lives uh, that you brought us in. Uh, having been your enemies, having been the unlikely ones, you brought us into your kingdom to love and worship your son and to receive forgiveness and mercy from him. I pray, Father, that you would use this church to be the port of entry for many, many people to come into your kingdom. That you would cause people to uh, find their lives reintegrated with you and then see the blessings of relationship with you unfold into their lives and families and neighborhoods. Uh, Father, please promote the cause of the Oregon mission here and cause your Holy Spirit to open people's minds and hearts to you. I pray that the zeal and vision of this group of people who have looked to you to do this work in Hillsborough would see you doing things that would amaze them, things that they never could have anticipated or expected. Uh, please answer their zeal. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.